and how we can be a part of a very wonderful future. It is easy, day to day, and I think we heard this in some form this morning, to become distracted by various things going on either in our lives, someone else's lives, or in the world at large. Not that we aren't to be aware, because we are to watch the leaves coming on the trees as the day draws nearer, and to comprehend and understand what is happening and why it is happening in the world, what's behind it, and who is going to win. To truly have trust and faith in God, we have to have knowledge of what is and what shall be. If we don't have that knowledge to grasp and deal with things as they start coming down, how can we trust God to take care of what we don't even understand? So a certain amount of knowledge is needed. I found it interesting, Terry touched on something this morning back in Genesis 3, and I want to pick a point out of this, not to go back over what he was covering, but a phrase in here that I think has been basically ignored or not paid attention to in the instruction. Genesis 3 Uh, verse 21, To Adam also and to his wife did the eternal God make coats of skin and clothe them. In verse 22, then, he gives some instruction. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us. This is a conversation between the Father and he who became the Son. Because they were the only two uh, God-beings, uncreated God-beings in the universe to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the eternal God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Wait a minute, I missed... Am I supposed to be in 2.22? No. I'm missing something here. Where am I? Uh, Back here, somewhere where it... Where he gave them instruction not to eat of the fruit. Um, Huh? 217? You ought to have it there there in your notes. Uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. But there's one place here somewhere where it said, not only shall you not eat of it, you are not to touch it. Three, three? How did I get 22 down? Oh, well. Maybe we'll all get straightened out someday, some way, somehow, but... We all got a long ways to go, and I guess I'm the leader. Uh, But a fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. 
I don't know that I've ever heard anyone talk much about the touch part. We always talk about not eating of that fruit. Think about that for a moment. We have a world around us out here that is carnal. It is apart from God. It is living essentially by evil, even though some good is done here and there. But it is not a good world. It is a society that has been set up and perpetuated by Satan the devil and the demons through people who are not obedient to God. And if you are around temptation very much, you will eventually give in to it. So God gives the instruction, not only do not partake of it, do not touch it. Because if you touch it, if you get near it, if you're around it, the first thing you know, you're going to eat of it. You're going to partake of it the way the world does. That's why he tells us to flee fornication or to run from sin or whatever the directive might be. Stay away from those things that would cause us to go the way of the world and the way of Satan the devil. I wanted to make a point of that because Paul tells us, does he not, not to be friends with the world, not to fellowship with the world. If we begin to make friends out in the world and to fellowship with them and do activities with them, first thing you know, we begin to lose our focus and we begin to be involved with and focused on the things that will lead us away from God, not bring us to God. We need to be around godly people. We need to be talking of godly things, not being involved with the world out there who know not God. We want to be there when that trumpet sounds and the dead are raised incorruptible. We want to be part of the plan and the purpose, the salvation and the kingdom of God. That has to be our focus. Now, what did God, what did Christ say in the sample prayer of how to pray? Our Father, that removes most of the Yahweh and what is the exact name of God confusion. It's just Father. Our Father in heaven. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic or Chinese to get that. So our Father in heaven, then we hallow his name, give him honor and glory and praise for who he is and what he has done. And then the first thing that is a request is thy kingdom come. We can talk about other things in our prayers, our needs, our wants, somebody else's needs and desires and healings and whatever. But the primary focus of our life should be thy kingdom come. Because that's the day that the mystery of God 
is revealed. Or that starts really the process in terms of the actual events beginning on the Feast of Trumpets where the mystery is revealed. Now there's more to the story and the reason we need to pray thy kingdom come is because (coughs) this day has not been fulfilled in prophecy as yet. We rehearse the holy days every year beginning with the Passover. Once man sinned in the garden, and not only touched, but ate of what God had told them not to, they created a great rift, a breach, a chasm between them and God. (coughs) And that has to be closed in the day that today pictures, when we are changed. And that breach is completely healed. Now, we can heal it in part today, and he has set up the holy days to teach us that. Christ had to die, after living a perfect life, under evil conditions, in the same realm that we dwell in. He had to deal perfectly and show that it can be done. And then he had to die because the wages of sin is death. And he was willing to give his life that others might be saved, including the entire world. Most of it at least, with some minor exceptions. But offered to everyone, though some will reject, is the point. But he began to close the breach that was created between Adam and Eve and Satan from God. And really the breach goes beyond or back further than even Adam and Eve when Satan rebelled against God. Wanted to become an independent Christian, if you will, uh, referring back to Terry's sermon this morning. I don't know that he had Christian in mind, but an independent being uh, contrary to the way of God. Rebelled against the government, the laws, the authority of God. And decided to go it on his own, thinking that he could lead the whole angel realm with him and take over, is what he wanted to do, a coup. He managed to retain and convince one-third of the holy angels of God. That's incredible, isn't it? They were there, around the throne of God, back and forth from the earth to heaven, perhaps. And they followed a rebel, a dissident, someone who decided to go out on his own. Now, because they believed in their leader, they did not think for themselves. And they simply followed what Satan said and also departed from God. That's hard to imagine that that beings who knew God and Christ could be influenced by a rebel. But it happened. And it has happened within the church of God 
in this recent quarter century over and over and over again. So it's not a new phenomenon, it's an old one, but it is a continuing one. That's the problem. And ever since his rebellion and then his leading of a rebellion of all mankind, there were two, Adam and Eve, and it has continued ever since, without abatement and without exception, except he who came lived that perfect life, and died for you and me. So the first holy day is the Passover day, the day that Christ died. And then we have six more days, making a total of seven days of unleavened bread, that we are to continue to put sin out of our lives. The numbers are there. First day... Not a total of eight, but seven. These are seven days. It says very clearly that these are seven days there in Ezekiel. The first day shows the most important part. Christ dying sinless for our sins. And then the next six picture us continuing to put sin out of our lives because even though he lived perfectly and set an example that we should walk as he walked, we have been unwilling, unable to do so. So six is the number of man in the numerology of Scripture. And you have to put those six days of work of man together with the seventh day, the work of Christ, in order to come up with a complete and a whole picture. Eight ruins that. Seven makes it perfect. His effort came first because it's the most important. We could not accomplish what he asked us to do in those next six days without help from him. And even though we struggle as men to do that, We still cannot achieve it only with his sacrifice. That is inadequate and impossible. His death paid for our sin, but his death did not provide salvation. He was resurrected. And it is the living Christ who can help us. Then you have Pentecost, 50 days later, count 50, and it's based upon the Jubilee cycle is the reason God made it 50, because 50 days after the Sabbath, during the days of unleavened bread, came the comforter that Christ promised the disciples, and which came in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God, because we cannot walk in the flesh without help from the Spirit. I mean, we can't walk in the Spirit without help of the Spirit. Otherwise, we walk in the flesh. And even as much as we have the help of God's Spirit to help us, we still tend to walk in the flesh, giving in to our own emotions, our own feelings, our own desires. It's hard for a human to react spiritually. 
And our reactions need to become the same reactions that Christ would have. That does not come easy. But 50 days after that Sabbath, during the Days of Unleavened Bread, pictures liberty. It pictures the freedom from human nature, the flesh, and sin. Peace, plenty, prosperity for all. And we'll get to that a little later on toward the end of the sermon. But he's got a plan and a process, a procedure whereby we can become God and be changed from mortal to immortal. And that is where our focus lies. Now, once the Holy Spirit came, you did not find a perfect church, did you? You saw an outpouring of that Spirit in Acts 2, where thousands of people were converted in just a few days' time. They saw the incredible gift of tongues, the speaking, the healings, the various things that convinced them that Christ was the Christ and that those were the apostles that he had left behind to teach and to guide the church. So they were converted, and all kinds of incredible incredible miracles happened. Even the shadow of the apostles passing over people caused them to be healed. Now, that lasted for a short time, and then it died out. God did not give that kind of spiritual power, that kind of spiritual demonstration from then on. It was merely to show what He can do. And then, human nature was still there to deal with. And Paul wrote his letters about various problems in the various churches, about rebels departing, about sin within, about administrative difficulties, and all kinds of problems that arose. And the name doesn't come to me immediately, but he even mentioned leaving someone behind to die when there had been such fantastic healings. So, God can heal, God will heal, God has healed, but He does not universally do it all the time. We have to grow and overcome. And He says the way to grow and overcome is through trial, trouble, tribulation, refining, and many other analogies in the Bible. Travailing as in birth is another one. And on and on it goes, showing that the vicissitudes of life, the trouble of human nature, has to be dealt with. And God does not do it automatically because we would never learn, we would never grow, we would never develop character, because everything would be done for us and we would drift from God. That is the nature of human beings, is to drift from God. So he has to do these things to, another analogy he uses, is chasten us, punish us, sometimes for our sins, remind us, so on and so forth, to tell us to stay away from the world, not to touch the world of the unclean thing, much less embrace it and go along with it. 
Then we have, from Pentecost to Feast of Trumpets, where we are today, 